I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. All right, we're back with part two of our Friday the 13th special, episode six to ten. And just out of interest, Duncan, what order did you watch these in when you got your five movies? Uh, chronological. Did you? Yeah. Two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate? Jason X. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> admirable. Admirable. Yeah. What about uh, you? Did you watch them out of order? I absolutely did. Right. I, I went seven. How, how did you know what was going on? It's so intricately plotted. It's so confusing. Yeah. So confusing. It's like Games of Thrones. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I went seven first because I was really excited to see that one again. Right. And then I think I went five because right. I have good memories of that one. And then nine because yeah. oh, I don't have good memories of that one. And yeah. I thought I'd, I was curious. Get the other way. And then three because... Uh, it's arduous. It's arduous. <laughs> and then one because, I don't know, I had less interest in returning to that one. Yeah. And probably it's the one I've seen most recently as well. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you went to order. What a what a stickler, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I went order because uh, I really wanted to get a feel for the progression of the of the series. Yeah, right. Right. Even if it is, you know, kind of a um, hopscotch. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of way yeah, yeah. why we're doing it, but yeah, just wanted to see the progression of it. Right. And I think, and on reflection, it was definitely the right way to go for me. Anyway. Yeah. But yeah. you're a lot more familiar with these than I am. Yeah. I feel like I've watched them a lot, so I just wanted to just. Yeah. You know, have a little leap around. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, I appreciate play, that. Dip into power. So, look, you're up next, eh? I am, and we're on to Friday the Thirteenth, Part Six. Jason Lives from 1986. Part Six needed to bring Jason back, and they do it in some style. <laughs> the opening scene is my favorite opening season of the series, where it just smash cuts in like Lethal Weapon Two, you know, <laughs> with like rigs and. And Murtog driving along, and he's just like hammering on the roof, going "woo!" Yeah, just smash cuts in to Tommy Jarvis and giggling friend making the questionable life choice of driving to Crystal Lake Cemetery at night in a thunderstorm on the actual date of Friday the Thirteenth to drive a stake, a iron rod stake, through Jason's heart and set him alight. Of course, lightning strikes the iron rod. Tommy impales on Jason's body, and like Frankenstein's monster, he comes back to life. He then rampages at Crystal Lake while Tommy battles the cops who refuse to believe his Jason story. But once the bodies mount up, suspicion turns to Tommy himself being a copycat killer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, look, snappy dialogue immediately noticeable in this film. With lines like, I've seen enough horror movies to know any weirdo wearing a mask isn't friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, to, are you in show business? You sure know how to make an entrance. And of course, the single line that is addressed directly to the audience as the grave digger exasperated at the idea that people would defile Jason's grave, stating to the camera, some folks sure have a strange sense of entertainment. They sure do. Uh, it's not controversial to suggest that the dialogue in the first, say, like 20 minutes of part six is pretty much better than anything in the previous five. And also the cinematography is an improvement, I think. Uh, some of the early ones look flat, uh, whereas this uses depth, tracking shots, and lighting a lot more effectively. It also has a really effective first use of the... This film is the first to truly have meta jokes and heavy doses of comedy in the series. Uh, the salesman wandering the woods dressed in camouflage with paintball guns, 
playing war games on a team building exercise is like a skit unto itself. Yeah. While the yuppie couple on a moped as the woman tries to talk the man into sex for once is goofy. And it later a scan across the young sleeping six and seven year olds in their huts sees that one child has fallen asleep after reading Jean-Paul Sartre's No Exit. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the first one to have campers. Yeah, that's which right. That's exactly thing. what I was thinking. And very young campers too, yeah, yeah. which kind of ups the stakes in the Jeopardy a lot more because Jason's walking around with all these like six and seven year olds yeah. sleeping, you know, which is actually a bit creepy. Yeah. So, you know, like I was saying, you've got, you've got yuppies, Walkmans, Alice Cooper soundtrack, ripped jeans, midriff tank tops on dudes uh, who have, you know, like feather earrings in one yeah, ear. Man. Is this peak 80s Friday the 13th? Yeah, it, it might well be. It might well be. I had that Alice Cooper album, by the way. Yeah. Instructor. Yeah. Um, good album, I thought at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect a pretty average one nowadays. Uh, we've, we've talked about this on the podcast before, like how the, the 80s nostalgia is up and running. A lot of this is how you would actually kind of overdress. Like it, yeah. if someone did this now, how this looks, especially the characters, yeah. um, I'd kind of go, you're kind of overdoing it. You're, yeah, it's yeah, doing yeah. its caricature. And this is actually really 1986 film, probably in 85. This is exactly how yeah. you know, we're going to dress like this. And uh, the pace of the film is swift as well, I thought, in this one. I think this is the first one I saw as well. It actually has action sequences, like not just kill sequences. Mm. It was just means actual action sequences. So there's car chases with the police. Yeah. Uh, a speeding camper van flips through the air and bursts into flames as Jason's standing on top of it, which is a really striking image. Yeah. But they all felt like, oh, this is actually an action sequence. Yeah. And although many parts are played for laughs, the stalking of the camp counsellor towards the end is actually a really good suspense sequence yeah. where she's kind of going in and out. There's already a lot of them being murdered. She had she hasn't realised. And they do a lot of a lot of tracking shots during then and, and the way he's stalking her. There's also Jason walking toward the camp, towards Camp Crystal Lake, past the signs that outline the camp's mottos, like friendliness, integrity. Yeah. Uh, but it also outlines the characteristics necessary to survive because it's got endurance, self-reliance. Yeah, yeah. So we can get into some categories here. So the quality of the carnage, I gave 10 out of 13 hockey masks. Oh, very generous. Yes. Well, look, I think the first death is five minutes in. And from there, it doesn't really relent too much. The director wanted to have a winking 13 kills, but the studio forced him to up the kill count. Mm. So it moves to 17. So the deaths are punch through the stomach. Yeah, always a goodie. Spear through the torso. Spear through the mouth. Thrown onto a branch, impaled, and then arm ripped off. Five, six, and seven are all decapitated in one fell swoop. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that one. Eight is a glass to the throat. Nine and ten run through with a machete. Uh, Eleven, face smashed into a wall. Twelve, knife to the temple. Always a brutal way to go. Mm. Thirteen, head twisted off. Fourteen, slash with machete th thrown through window. Uh... 15 knife to the head, 16 head crushed, and 17 body broken in half. My favourite. Yeah, that's a really tough. Oh, that's got to hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a really nasty one. That one. It is, yeah. It looks really good. Yeah, it does. And uh, and I think also um, towards the end of that sequence is um, a body thrown through a window as well. Corpse yep. thrown through a window, good. I think, happens in the end. Good stuff. Good to see. Yeah. Hedonism of the victims. Look, this gets a measly four out of 13 hockey yeah. masks. Yeah. Perhaps disappointingly for such a crazy film as Jason Lives, the hedonism of the victims is nearly non-existence. So thank goodness for Court and Nikki as they engage in premarital sex while listening to rock and roll in the form of Alice Cooper's Teenage Frankenstein. Yeah. Dancing scenes. Seven out of 13 hockey masks. 
And I'll give you, tell you for why. Not only a dance scene, but Court and Nikki dance while having sex, listening to music, which is pretty unique. So she's sitting, she's writing him, yeah. and they're listening to Alice Cooper, yeah. actually having gyrating, having sex. Yes. <laughs> Dancing while having sex. <laughs> Brilliant. That's some solid work. Uh, characters. I'm going to give this a 10 out of 13 hockey masks. By and large, they're the usual bunch of disposable teens with the camp counselors looking like the cast of Saved by the Bell. Um, but <laughs> Tommy Jarvis is a wild-eyed and determined. Uh, his love interest, Megan Garris, is a rule breaker who likes the wildness in Tommy's eyes. She can also drive her bitchin' car pretty fast. And she saves Tommy's life in the finale and puts a propeller to Jason's face. Yep. And while her dad, Cop, looks only about five years older than her, uh, he does get to unload a shotgun into Jason and sacrifice himself for his daughter. Yeah, he's after, a great character. I like him. Yeah, after kind of starting off as a bit of a asshole. Yeah. Uh, but it is the smaller characters, like the two camp kids who act as like a Greek chorus to the unfolding chaos. When the adults try to reassure them that everything will be okay, one kid quietly asks his friends, how do you think we'll be? The other replies, we're dead, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then we cut outside and like an adult has a reason to scream, you know, it goes for a couple of minutes and it cuts back to them really unexpectedly. Same two kids, this time calmly hiding under the bed now. And then the kid adds, real dead, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Lead protagonist, look, I'm giving this 11 out of 13 hockey masks. Uh, Tommy Jarvis is an idiot for starting the sequence of events. <laughs> But in this franchise, he is iconic, um, mainly because of Feldman in, in, in 4. And it's part 6 that makes him the Jamie Lee Curtis of the series. Although, with his you know kind of crazy obsession, he's less Laurie Strode and a bit more Dr. Loomis. Yeah. Uh, he is far more driven than any other character in the series, other than Jason. Mm. <laughs> like, really, this, out of the ones I saw, this is the only one where any protagonist has any drive other than to run away from him. Yeah, pretty much. Um, the other protagonists tend to sleepwalk their way through their terror until kind of the last moments, while Jarvis, from the very beginning, just rushes headlong into confrontation with a plan, an awful, awful, awful <laughs> plan. <laughs> Jason Myth Exposition, 8 out of 13 hockey masks. With all of the opening tied in with Tommy's previous battles, plus the finale so grounded at Crystal Lake, with Tommy figuring out the only way to stop the unstoppable, the JME, or the Jason Myth Exposition, as I call it. The JME. Yeah. JME. They sound like um, a band. Yeah, they? yeah, yeah. An 80s band, too. An 80s actually. band, yeah. yeah. You're going to go see JME tonight? Yeah, yeah. It's... Yeah. Um, yeah, the JME in part six gets a real boost later on as it also brings in the actual date of Friday the 13th as a date of this round of murders. And I don't know how often that actually happens in the series. It may got me thinking. I, I yeah. would believe twice. Yeah. Mm. The first one? Yeah. And then this one? Yeah. Yeah. And it actually happens within a day as well, which actually leads into um, the fact that this is quite swift because this all happens within essentially 24 hours. Yeah. And so then we get to the climax, which I give 12 out of 13 hockey masks. Wow, that's high. It is high. And this is one of the better climaxes in the series, I think, because Jarvis goes full Loomis uh, mm. by sitting in a boat on Crystal Lake with a chain tied to a rock, surrounded by gasoline he poured onto the water and taunts Jason. Jason takes the bait and walks out. And there's a great moment where... Tommy's just gone a little bit too far. Yeah. Because he's going to put the chain with the rock around Jason's neck. Yeah. But if he'd just gone a little bit earlier, if he just moved a little bit yeah, further, yeah, closer yeah. to him, he would have had that. But Jason keeps going under the water and disappears, basically. My favorite that part of that might have been Jarvis calling Jason a pussy. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. It sounds like, really? You're calling that guy a pussy? <laughs> yeah. But also, the way he says it, it's like, you pussy? Yeah. <laughs> that's great. 
it, you know, Jason does his favourite trick, jumping up from the water and grabbing someone from behind out of a boat. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's got a MO there. And Jarvis is then saved by Megan, who turns the propeller on the boat against Jason, chopping him into a bloody stew. Look, I found this sequence really suspenseful, and it came out of the end of that stalking of the last camp council, which I really did. I didn't remember that being quite as effective. I always thought this was a fun movie, but that was actually a really good um, tense sequence. The film kind of has its cake and eats it too by having Jason as a stalker, as the classic Jason, but also operating his jaws, Mm. kind of hidden in the water, popping out randomly mm. and it finishes by chaining Jason to the bottom of the lake, which is always a good end to a Friday film. I think yeah. there's so many great, like little match cuts they do as well. You know, there's a good part where Jason's flinging a murder teenager, you know, out the window and then it just smash cuts to a cop squashing a bug. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then there's like the hamster in the wheel all mm. the time. And then it's got that poetic, poetic finale, like the, the final shot of the piano or shape of water. You know, with the two of them in the in the water there, <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I, I'm I make no bones. This is be my favourite yep. out, out of the um, Friday the Thirteenth. James Bond reference in there for you too, man. Yes, I, I just completely stepped over that. It's got a James Bond reference at the beginning. Yeah. Um. So it does the gun barrel, famous gun barrel, but instead of 007 walking out and shooting the camera, Jason walks past and throws his machete. Yeah. But the crazy thing I noticed about this time is not only is he He's walking across his own eye. Yes. So it zooms into his own eye, yes. like being brought to life. And then he's inside his own eye, walking across and James Bond throwing a machete at the camera. Yes, yeah, ludicrous. I like uh, that. It's brilliant. Makes no sense. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and maybe maybe that's the surface reason as to why I enjoyed this, because it's got that subtle thing. Yeah. In it. But uh, I think everything's stepped up in this, particularly from watching 2. You just asked me before why I'm watching Chronological Order and why I was happy to was because 2 to 4 and then to this, particularly cinematography, the uh, like I said, the dialogue and and to a, to a large extent the pace of it, mm. I like it's it, it's it's never boring. It's just it keeps going, it keeps moving, yeah. it keeps shifting. This is probably the one I've watched the most over the yeah. years. Um, as a teenager, it was my favourite. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt about yeah. it. Um, over over time, I've come to enjoy four more. Yeah, personal thing, I, I guess. But this one, for a long time, I loved this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think this is the one that kind of endears me to the franchise quite a lot. Like, I think it's got a lot of the reason. You know, like, I think if that was... I think if this film wasn't in here, I'm not sure whether I'd be kind of, like, reviewing every film with you. You know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't be one of those ones. Yeah, it's one sure, of those ones sure. that, that really... And it comes right in the centre of the whole series. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's really... For better or worse, something works in it, and people probably oversell the stuff later on, the goofiness later on, too much. But this one strikes the balance really yeah. well. Yeah. I, I, I would say probably fans of the series, probably four is the most popular. But mm. I would suggest that six is the best reviewed Friday the 13th. Yeah. I mean, best reviewed. It's probably not, it doesn't get the best reviews in the world. But I think it is pretty well reviewed. I think it is pretty well liked. Yeah. Some folks have a strange idea entertainment. Cool. And now we're on to part seven. Look, of all the films in my little slasher pile, I had to watch part seven, The New Blood, was the one I was most excited to revisit. I remember it as being one of my favourites. I like the sloppy, decomposing makeup of Jason Voorhees. The music got its first series change-up. Effects artist turned director John Carl Buchler had a style of shooting that I admired at the time. And, you know, hey, who doesn't want to see a reanimated Jason Voorhees battle a cut-rate carry? <laughs> and it kicks off in great style with a recap. Mm. Recaps, which I'm a massive fan of, as I've said before. 
I like to see some moments I love strung together with a natty bit of narration. And the narration this time is by none other than Walt Gorney, who was Crazy Ralph. <laughs> yeah. So they brought the actor, at least, back to yeah. the narrator, the mad prophet of disheveled doom in the first two Friday 13th films. It's a cool way to start things off. So right up, right now, 11 hockey mice out of 13 for recap. Nice. Strong start. We open on Tina, a telekinetic kid staying on the edge of Crystal Lake with her mum and her drunken, abusive father. When her father flies into a rage, she uses her powers to send him to the bottom of the lake, which appears to be pretty shallow, I've got to say, mm-hmm. and not the depth at one, which one should drown, and then have one's body be, for some reason, unrecoverable. Mm. So he seems to drown in not a lot of water, which can happen. Okay, I get mm. that. But they never find his body, <laughs> which is remarkable to me. Uh, flash for 10 years, and for anyone keeping count, that means this film, released in 1988, is actually set in 2001. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's worth noting that's where we've got to. Not that it's obvious to anyone, and the film doesn't really dwell on the fact that we're now in the, you know, 21st century. Mm. Tina's a teen, back at the lake with her mum and a creepy therapist named Dr. Cruz to try to work through the issues from her father's death that have kept her in a psychiatric hospital. Though it's pretty clear, Cruz really just wants to see if he can get Tina to go all Firestarter so he can study the results, (laughs) you know. I quite like the setup here. It's a little unusual and allows for some actual adult actors to hog the limelight a little, which doesn't mm-hmm. happen very often. And they're decent performers. Uh, Terry Kaiser, who plays Cruz, has a long and still active career, even if he'll always be known as Bernie the Dead Dude from Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> and Susan Blue, Tina's mother, has over 100 credits to her name. They're in pretty good hands here. Uh, of course, their lakefront home is right next door to a place being used as a teen party site. Uh, so, you know, there's also going to be a ton of broad performances and cardboard cutout caricatures <laughs> as well. And by the way, this is something that really struck me, and it struck me as in the earlier ones, but more so in this one is they're such a varied bunch that you know there'd be no reason at all in the real world they'd hang out together. Yeah. You know, there's the snooty rich girl, uh, the plain Jane virgin who just needs to take off her glasses and put on some damn makeup <laughs> to look hot, a generic handsome nice guy who will last quite a while. Mm. Uh, a totally rebellious pot-smoking badass, uh, an awkward nerd who no one seems to have any time for, an eccentric cool girl, and a black couple who, it would seem, interact with no one else in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, they're there, and they're obviously friends of everyone else, but they don't really do anything with anyone. Yeah. I've got no idea how any of these people became friends. Yeah, I don't see any connection between anyone. Mm-hmm. Anyway, before you can say Yuri Geller, Tina has flexed her <laughs> telekinetic might to try and raise her pot back from the lake, but instead accidentally frees Jason Voorhees. <laughs> and like I said before, I like Jason's look here. Uh, the way his bones and rotting flesh poke through his torn overalls. And it's also notable for being the first time Kane Hodder dons the mask. Mm. So Hodder would play Jason right up to Freddy versus Jason. Mm. So the rest of the films we're going to review. And his, I think his physicality would become a big part of the character, you know, the way he plays it. Even if I don't care for the near constant grunting that goes on in this film. Mm. It's always making noise. Mm. Needless to say, no one believes crazy Tina when she tells him about the reanimated hockey mask psycho she's brought back from the dead, or her visions in which people are butchered by him. And Jason finally starts getting into the old business, racking up his first two kills, a pair of fairly vanilla stabbings, uh, about 20 minutes in. Right. And therein lies the film's big problems. Most of the kills are really just that. They're really vanilla. Uh, apparently a victim of many censorship struggles. Right. Uh, the deaths are a collection of mostly off-screen stabbings, and they reach a serious low point when with all the tools at zombie Jason's disposal, someone is just drowned, right. you know? And not in any really exciting way. They're just like, 
pulled under the water and they drown. Mm-hmm. Um, another girl is hurled from a second floor window, and I presume she could have survived it. So I'm not, I'm not even sure I should call that one a kill. Yeah, because for all I know, the film finishes and she's just like ah oh, days and getting up like yeah, you know those extras in an episode of the A Team. Yeah, no, it's not like she fell into a car like the girl in part four. Yeah, this girl just landed on the ground. Yeah, I think I'd be okay. Yeah, I think you'd be fine. Yeah. Uh, there are only three deaths worth m- mentioning. Um, a guy gets punched in the back. Jason's fist coming through his chest at the same time as Jason snaps his neck with his spear hand. <laughs> so it's like probably some sort of 500-point combo in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> um, a girl is killed by a party horn to the eye, uh, which makes a comical squeak, which I really liked. And, of course, we get the first instant of the sleeping bag kill, in which someone is forced into a sleeping bag and his squirming body is swung against a tree trunk until dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easily the best kill of the film. And this one's so good, it'll be brought back in uh, part 10. Mm-hmm. It's really memorable. It's such a cool kill. Yeah. And while I'm talking of characters getting killed, I'm reminded of another weird slasher movie trope. When people need to wander off, they wander so far, eh? Mm. Like, if you need to grab some firewood when you're surrounded by wood, why do you wander 500 metres off into the darkest forest? Yeah. Uh, when you need a pee, why wander 500 metres off into the darkened forest as well? Um, no one knows the woods around Crystal Lake. So why are they always so keen to disappear into them at night with no real hope of being able to find their way back? Yeah. It's madness, eh? <laughs> but it happens in all the films, eh? I'm yeah. just, I just really noticed it when I was watching it this time. Yeah. Because it seemed like they couldn't they couldn't call back to the person they were leaving behind afterwards. Yeah. Because they travel so far. Yeah. Anyway, eventually Tina and the handsome boy next door, Nick, find some old newspaper clippings about Jason Voorhees. Because apparently people are still unaware of an immortal mass murderer who lived in the town's existence. <laughs> you know, he's been killing people for 20 years now. Yeah. And yet people are shocked to discover him. <laughs> and we move into the final confrontation. So the idea of using psychic powers to take down Jason is great in theory, but in practice it's like really dull. Um, every time Tina uses her abilities, she has to do that squinty face concentration thing mm. for like something lifts slowly off the ground and sails towards Jason who, for his part, has to stand there grunting threateningly, heaving his broad shoulders, or watching with surprise as things float into him. <laughs> uh, the silliest of which is a pot plant with a severed head still in it, which heads butts Jason and knocks him down. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So. It's also leaden. And to give Tina time to do all her telekinetic tricks, Jason has to fall back on a strategy I always hate. Not just in horror films either. He throws her around, at walls, against trees, or just across the room, you know? Mm-hmm. All attacks designed to give her a time and space to be able to stand up and use her psychic powers again. Mm. I mean, you've had so much success with machetes, knives, and party <laughs> horns, Jason. Why are you now resorting to such obviously non-lethal attacks? Yeah. You know? I mean, he, he, he can throw corpses through windows and, you know. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. So he should be able to do this. He's done so well up till now, yeah. you know? Eventually, after a spectacular but completely nonsensical house explosion, Tina uses her powers to resurrect her father from the waters of Crystal Lake. Um, and by the way, he hasn't decomposed at all in the intervening years, you right. know. And he drags Jason back down into the watery depths. Right. This one, look, it really hasn't aged well for me. I, I was really excited to get to it. But for kills, I'm going to have to give it a five masks out of 13. Mm-hmm. Most of that for the sheer novelty of Death by Sleeping Bag, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, I'll give it six out of 13 for the final confrontation. And most of that again, is for the novelty factor of seeing a nails fly across the room into Jason's head, you know? <laughs> uh, and a generous nine masks out of 13 for Jason's makeup, which is pretty great here. Yeah. Also overexposed. They spend too much time with his mask off. Yeah. You know, you've got to get those moments in quickly, I think. Yeah. And, you know, and move on. 
Pill count here is 15, but they're really mostly forgettable. Right. Look, I'll link it when I do the show notes because it is worth watching. It's not good quality footage, but there's footage of all all the murders as they originally looked before they were forced to edit them down. Whoa, that'd be yeah. interesting. To yeah, watch. and it is interesting because there's a. I mean, it's macabre, I know, but there's a better film in there with 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 more footage in there. Mm. Like the sleeping bag death is. He puts someone in a sleeping bag, he swings them against a tree once and, and drops it. In the extended footage, it's like five swings and the bag's becoming bloodier and pulpier and pulpier. Right. You know? Mm. It's so much more effective and you can see that it's really hindered the yeah. film by having to remove all that content. And and apparently there's no chance of re-editing back in because right. it wasn't kept in any great. It's interesting that, isn't it? Because, you know, the, the surrounding films are still pretty violent. So Yeah, for this for some reason this one really got hit hard, eh? Yeah. By censorship, yeah, um, and I just can't believe that they haven't kept those so that they can do a reissue in a good mm. quality. Because you know, nowadays with DVD and everything, they'd, they'd have that version of the movies, and they go, "Yeah, but sure, we'll release the unrated cut on DVD." And yeah, missed opportunity. Yeah, I want to have to kick back and watch that sometime because again, I'm not sure whether I've seen that one. I definitely haven't seen Five, but I'm not sure about that one. That, yeah, don't the, rush. The plot rings a bell, but I'm not too not too certain. You're uh, no hurries, eh? No, 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 no hurry. Not in a rush after I've just watched five of them. To be perfectly honest with you, uh, I never really chopped wood before, but it certainly looks like fun. Leave me alone! So then we move on to Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan from 1989. Part 8 hitches a ride on Part 6's coattails by reviving Jason from his watery grave with electricity, while Jason himself hitches a ride on a boat that goes upriver from Camp Crystal Lake I guess, to New York City. It's not a lake. Is yeah. that what we're saying? Well, there's an inlet. I guess there's an inlet. I mean, lakes have inlets, but yeah, it's kind of like, well, big I guess. It's big. It's yeah, a big boat, right? It is, yeah. I'm just wondering how big Camp Crystal, well, how big Crystal Lake actually is. Yeah. It's massive. I never imagined it as being that big. No, neither did I. But apparently, you know, you get big Clearly steamships up and everything. Mm. Um, you know, it's like Fitzcarraldo or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's killing the crew and teens alike until he chases the surviving shipmates into the seedy back streets in the final days of pre-Giuliani zero-tolerance New York. <laughs> this really is at the very edges of yep. being seedy New York. 1989's like, you know, he's starting to get into it. It's getting cleaned up. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, they still want to make it look like Death Wish for this movie. Yeah, sure. Look, it has this really cheesy opening song called The Darkest Side of the Night by Metropolis, and they replay it at the end, and it's just... It's really out of place in in in, in this series. Uh, the ship is called Lazarus. Mm-hmm. Return of the uh, this voyage is doomed guy. Oh, cool. Yeah, he he's like obviously some kind of younger version of of uh, crazy of crazy Ralph. Crazy Ralph. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they have a rock chick dressed like Joan Jett playing guitar, um, and she gets smashed in the face with it by Jason. Yep. It stars Kelly Who. Uh, who starred in Scorpion King and X Men Two? Oh, of turns up in this, yeah, yeah. and she was a uh, yeah, she was one of the one of the bad guys, and um, she's, I think she's got the long fingernails, the one who um, fights Wolverine in, in X Men Two. Yeah, right. So the lead girl and final girl, Rennie, has visions of Jason drowning as a young boy, and because of this, visually especially, I kind of felt that this was the first one that seemed to be really influenced by uh, Freddy, mm. um, because it had some kind of nightmarish things uh because she's having these visions that jason's able to kind of attack her when he's not actually there you know what i mean so he's coming out of mirrors and he's leaping out of portals and all this kind of stuff when it's not actually him it's he's having these visions but in this film jason is cautious cunning and even sneaky 
like carefully opening doors and hiding in this boat, mm. even placing victims to look like they're still alive. Like he, he kills the captain, slits his throats, and then obviously off screen, but obviously props him back up onto really? the wheel. Yeah, and to make it look like he's still doing it. Normally, of course, what he does is he leaves bodies around for people to find them later. Yeah. Like yeah. he's doing some sort of art installation. Yeah. <laughs> but but here he's leaving them to... Well, I guess so, because he's propped them up against the wheel. So it's like, well, unless he just thought, well, that's where the captain should be. I don't quite know why he's done it. He's removing radio wires, which admittedly he does a lot, and the other ones, yep. he pulls out phone wires and All stuff. The time. But he knows specifically to go forward. Just this, He doesn't rip off the whole thing in a rage. He's just like, oh, I'll just go put that little wire off there. He intentionally sets off a fire alarm like he sees it says reads that it says fire alarm and sets it off which i find amazing apparently developed a sense of irony when he drowns a man in a barrel of water because that man many years ago threw the lead actress into water to teach her how to swim yeah so we'd see the flashback of him doing that and then the next thing jason does is drown him how does he know that though yeah exactly he doesn't okay all right uh he also saves time by scaring off four would-be attackers in new york by simply Showing the face beneath the mask yeah. to them, which is yeah. actually quite cool. Yeah, I quite, I quite like that moment, and I remember that vividly from from this when I was a kid. He also moves ridiculously quickly in this one, breaking the suspension of disbelief beyond yeah, sure, but sure. that shatters it. Out of I mean, even as ridiculous as Jason X is, this is just insane. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. He's downstairs on a ship chasing guy upstairs. The guy cl- guy takes no breaks, climbs up some stairs. And he's standing there waiting yep. for him. I'm like, what is this, the prestige? Like, how are you doing this? <laughs> well, I posted a, something actually on a spoiler Facebook where somebody was dedicated to working out how Jason got around in this film. Right. And like working out whether Jason had to teleport or whether it was in fact possible for him yep. to do exactly what you're talking about. Yep. And you should watch that. Oh, well, I will. Be, I'll be, yeah, we wrapped yeah. to watch that. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. It's good, it's good, good reading. <laughs> it has the old. Uh, knife was there when he walked past, but then when he walks back, it's gone. Yeah, sure. Um, it has Wayne the nerd with the video camera, who's just basically Jamie Kennedy's scream character. Mm. As the immortal line, "We'll be more productive if we split up." <sighs> yeah, which is always a good one. Uh, the Canadian accent of the New York cop might give away that this wasn't actually shot no. uh, in the Big Apple, no, but rather than uh, Vancouver, I believe. Yeah, and it seems to imply that Jason's facial deformity occurred after his death. Because we see him in flashback before he dies with an apparently standard face. Oh. Uh, whereas when he appears with a deformity in the visions that the lead actress sees. But when when there's an explanation that the, the JME is happening, we actually see him, which right. I guess is supposed to be an objective view, not hers. And it's he's just he looks like uh he reminds me of the, the kid in Jaws, you know, when the shark's coming towards him, it's like, you know, like he's swimming in yeah, treading yeah. water. Um yeah. So it's like, hard to believe. Yeah, so do I. I think it's just a mistake, and I don't know yep. why they did it because they've got they've, the, the the rest of it's just stacked with this visions of this kid with a deformed face. So this one time they've decided not to show him. Yeah, it's kind of like oh, he's decayed underwater somehow. But just that side of the no, I don't think that's no, I don't buy that. That's weird, eh? I believe almost everything else that you yeah, told me, <laughs> but I find that implausible. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that's the only thing. That's, that's a breaking tri- point. <laughs> I've been briefly talking about it, so let's get the lead protagonist out of the way, which I only give a five out of thirteen hockey masks. Jensen Dagger as Rennie is a difficult character to care about. She's a real wet blanket from the beginning, which makes her change into strong in the final sequence. It kind of works, but it's a long haul to get there. Mm. Um, although she does get bonus points for having visions of submerged, deformed child Jason. Although this isn't a psychic connection, right? Like this is a one-way street where she has visions due to her 
traumatic right. repressed memories. It's not like she says Jason, like you were just talking about in Seven. Mm. You know, it's not the same as that. It's just her characters. Six out of 13 hockey masks. Neither remarkable nor awful, but the lead's creepy guardian who looks like a late career Anthony Perkins. He just gets to spit bile for the whole film, which is actually pretty funny. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's he's a really hateable character. You're like, and it's such a shame because they just drown him. Jason just drowns him. Like, come on, you could have just been a good ninety seconds decapitating this guy. Like I say, drowning feels wrong in one of these films. Yeah, mm. yeah, and he's a character who deserves to die the most in this. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who deserve to die in this. So, yeah, which um which goes under the hedonism of victims. Eleven out of thirteen hockey masks, premarital sex, cocaine use, heroin use. Seduction of teacher and attempted blackmailing, Ooh. robbery, kidnapping, and attempted rape. A few of these victims deserve a bit of carnage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jason Mythic's position. Uh, given this generous 9 out of 13 hockey masks, mainly because of the, it's in the opening scene, no less, an entertaining explanation of everything we've missed before by a wide-eyed teen who is moments away from playing a prank dressed as Jason, and then, oh so ironically, moments away from being killed by Jason. Yeah. Uh, it also has the continual visual referencing of Jason as a child and the fact that the girl discovers she had encountered Jason when she herself was a child drowning in uh, the lake in Camp Crystal. Yeah, right, right. And um, her... That's, that's, that's an event that happens in part three as well, actually. It's the right. memory of Jason. And uh, dancing, 11 out of 13 hockey masks. Oh, dancing. You got dancing. I got you? dancing. A bunch of kids dressed in various shades of denim dancing on the ship's deck. It was great at the beginning. But bonus for having actual murder on the dance floor. Uh, Jason throttles Kelly Who while music is blaring out and disco balls are circling. So uh, it's actually murder on the dance floor. Wow. Yeah. The climax. A measly four out of 13 hockey masks. While it has the odd image of Jason being washed away by toxic waste until he is a shivering child, the climax of the film is actually one of the weakest parts of the movie. Nearly everything in the New York section is just tiredly paced. It's really over by that point. But then we get into deaths, and I'm giving this the, the quality of the kills 10 out of 13 hockey masks for the sheer volume and the diversity of kills, and also for punching someone's head off their body. Mm. Uh, that guy deserved it. Oh, yeah, he did. First death happens within the opening five minutes, by the way. So the deaths you've got spear gun to the stomach, spear gun to the heart, smashed in the face with a guitar. There's the Joan Jett girl. Sauna rock smashed through the chest. Yeah, it's like. That's good, I like that. Yeah. Uh, five, stabbed with a shard of glass from a mirror. Stabbed in the back with a harpoon. Throat slit with machete. Throttled on the dance floor. Not Jason kill. Accidentally shooting by one victim of another. So the nerdy guy loses his glasses and panics and sees a figure and shoots him and it's actually the crew member. Right. Fried alive by being thrown onto an electrical bank. Impaled on aerial after being thrown off ship's mast. 12, axe to the back. 13, hypodermic needle through the back. 14, head smashed into a steam pipe. 15, head punched off body. Rolls through air and lands in dustbin that closes. <laughs> 16, off-screen death of policeman. 17, this one also not a Jason kill. Uh, it's actually a really brutal one. It's kind of like this nice school teacher. Uh, and they're running away from Jason in this police car. they grabs the police car and they drive it. The lead girl sees his vision of Jason in front of her and tries to, tries to drive into him, but it's not actually Jason. And just smashes it into a wall. And the, they, there's four people in there, including her. But this nice woman, she can't get out of the car and it explodes into flames. So the lead actress actually kills oh this nice God. woman. Yeah. 
Um, and then there's uh, drowning in a water barrel and finally wrench to the head. Yeah. Right. You can tell by the way I'm talking about this. I'm unfamiliar with a lot of this. I remember bits of because yeah. this is the one I probably like the least. Yeah. 19 kills. Yeah. The stuff on the boats actually, it, it's ludicrous because Jason doesn't belong in that environment. Like yeah. carefully walking around, you know, hiding in these tiny cabins, oh, totally. hiding, hiding in broom closets, killing people silently. Um, it just doesn't work. And yeah, he's not a commando. No, no. Um, he's, he's not like, he's very much like, uh, you know, Steven Seagal in Under Siege, just, you know, on a boat, yeah. killing people. But um, yeah, it's, it, but, but I think the sheer volume of it helps. It, it definitely, you know, people just keep getting killed yeah. constantly. For pretty much from as soon as they get on the boat to as soon as they get off. Yeah. But the, the problem was as soon as they get off, the New York stuff's terrible. Well, I mean, the big problem for me with this film is it's called Jason Takes Manhattan. Yeah. It spends a vast amount of that time in a boat yeah. over near Manhattan. Yeah. And then gets to fake Manhattan. Yeah. Um, so it's really disappointing just from what you're being sold. Yeah, that's right. Um, I can remember the poster was great. They had yeah. a, one version that was the I Love NY. Yeah. But with Jason bursting through it. You yeah. Know, bursting through the heart, I think. Yeah. And that's a great way to sell the film. Yeah. The film itself doesn't deliver on any of that. No. And they had to change that, uh, they had to change that poster. That, that poster because yeah. the New York yeah. complained about it. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Jimmy. Something's bothering you. Just that we're right around that summer camp. Brothers murders took place. What murders? All right, well, that leaves me with my final film, and this was the one I dreaded. New Line Cinema, having scored the license to make Friday 13th films, decided to go a little rogue and make a Friday film that changed the rules and, myth- and the mythology of the character. And I remembered hating Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday, when it came mm. out. Um, but I was also interested to see if perhaps with the benefit of wisdom and, you know, a few years' hindsight, I was the one who'd got it wrong. After all, I've always defended Jason X for putting Jason in space. So why shouldn't Part 9 get the same freedom to shake things up a little bit? One thing I did remember liking, and liked again this time, was the opening. So a sexy single lady stops by Camp Crystal Lake to strip down for a shower, which, as you'd imagine, lures Jason out of hiding. But cleverly, it's all a trap, because finally someone has decided to take Jason Voorhees seriously and send in the military to finish the job. The woman makes her getaway while soldiers emerge from the bushes and cut Jason down in a hail of gunfire and eventually blow him up with grenades. His scattered body parts, including his head and still intact heart, are sent to the morgue. It's actually a pretty sensible, like, smart start that addresses the by now ridiculous notion that Jason can emerge every couple of years. Slaughter, you know, 15 to 20 people maybe, and everyone seems to forget that (laughs) it happened a few years later, you know? Mm. I like the fact that they address that and actually take this whole situation as serious as they should have maybe four films ago. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Although I don't know how he got from being a child in a sewer in Manhattan back mm. to Crystal Lake. I think we just ignore. Yeah, I think we just walk over that. Yeah, all right. It's after this, though, that things get problematic. The coroner studying Jason's remains shares his professional opinion that this guy's deader than shit. <laughs> um, but then why does his heart start beating again? Moments later, the coroner, hypnotized by the beating of the heart, takes a big juicy bite of it and becomes the first person to be possessed by the murderous spirit of Jason. So at 16 minutes in, we get our first death when the coroner stabs his assistant with a metal probe. <laughs> to explain away this like really quite confusing turn of events, we get a mysterious bounty hunter named Creighton Duke, whose job is to deliver a bucket load of new Jason Voorhees mythology. What did you call it? JME. JME. Yeah. Mostly stolen from other films. And that the series never needed, and I don't think no anyone ever wanted. 
uh, as he explained to a waitress played by Erin Gray, who will always have a place in my heart as one of my boyhood crushes, Wilma from Buck Rogers. Damn straight. Oh, that, that flight gear she wore, eh? <laughs> anyway, Jason isn't a man so much as an entity, apparently, who wears other people's bodies like other people wear suits. How he knows all this, like how this dude knows all this, and all the other revelations revealed later, is kind of a mystery that this film has zero time for. Mm. Um, I'm not sure exactly where any of this is supposed to take place either, but it must be near Crystal Lake because we get some would-be victims smoking weed, skinny dipping, and having premarital sex. Nice. Like, three of the biggies ticked off right there. Yeah. A fact they even joke about, and particularly Meta Manor, you know? Mm. Pretty soon we have three more dead people. Poor Erin Gray is the next to go, and we get some more Jason exposition from Duke. Only a Voorhees can kill him, and only a Voorhees can give him new life. Oh, convenient. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and where did that come from? Yeah. Script writer. So apparently Gray, well, you're not a very good one, eh? <laughs> Gray was Jason's never-before-discussed sister. Oh, of course, yeah. Who has her own daughter named Jess, who now has her own baby daughter. Now we have a nonsensical family storyline. Crook from the Halloween films. Mm. Uh, but the whole thing about only your Voorhees giving you life seems ridiculous as well. Mm. Since by now Jason has popped from body to body in this film. Uh, as his soul, I guess, emerges as a slug monster from his mouth and enters some other mouths, and like a pretty obvious steal from the excellent film The Hidden. Mm. So why does he need a Voorhees if he can just keep taking bodies? Yeah. You know? And again, how in the hell does this dude know this? Mm. Also, the film is littered with horror references, you know? Um, so there's a sheriff named Landis, a mention of the old Myers house. Yeah. Someone else is named Carpenter. And a copy of the book of from the uh, the book of the dead from the evil dead mm. is at the old Voorhees house. Yeah. What's going on, man? Mm. So, so I sh- assume the evil dead universe and this universe are yeah. the same. Yeah, and Freddy versus Jason, so that's all tied together. Yeah, yeah, madness. So I'm going to have to skate over some stuff to try and make sense of this film. Uh, there's a decent scene of carnage at the diner where Jason runs a mock, caving in heads and burning people on grills. Before Duke, Jess, and Stephen, the father of Jess's baby, all meet back at the Voorhees house, which again is a thing that was never mentioned in any previous film. Yeah, the Voorhees house. The Voorhees house, yeah. Like, I don't know how there was a Voorhees house. Yeah. And why is it still standing? I mean, I think by this time we're maybe 30 odd <laughs> years after the events of the first Friday 13th. Yeah. And yet things are still in there. There's a, a book of the dead sitting on a table somewhere. Mm. And Jason's slug form escapes through someone's partially decapitated head. And look, I just don't know what I'm watching at this point, by the <laughs> way. And Jess is given a magical knife from Duke that is the only weapon that can permanently end Jason. I can't tell you why any more than I can tell you why Duke knows this. Much less why he should own a magical knife that can kill Jason Voorhees. Mm. But anyway, Jason is now being reborn because, and it pains me to say this, poor Erin Gray's corpse was in the cellar. And I assume he entered her? Mm. Yep. Can I just add, I'm making none of this up. All of this <laughs> happens in this film. All of this. This is, you know, none of, none wild, no wild inventions going on. Anyway, there's a very silly final fight between Jason and Steven where Jason throws him around a lot. Uh, when he could just finish him at any moment. Especially since there's a ton of weapons just lying around which Steven is able to grab to defend himself. Um, the yard is just filthy with shovels and rakes and more shovels. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Eventually, Jason is stabbed with the magic dagger and light shoot out of him like the cheapest CGI Roman candle and he is dragged down to hell by enormous zombie hands. In the final moment, only his hockey mask is left and that too is claimed by the knife-fingered glove of Freddy Krueger <laughs> uh, emerging from the earth to tease the eventual Freddy vs. Jason film. That will happen. 
but not as the follow-up to this rancid, horrendous fever dream of a film. Look, I'm going to give this a solid 10 out of 13 hockey masks for the kills, some of which are like really pleasingly grisly, you know? Mm-hmm. It also gets a 10 for body horror, for including a scene where one of Jason's host bodies melts into gooey slime when he leaves it. But for developing the mythology of the character, I'm giving it a big fat zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I could have fallen asleep, woken up, and dreamed whole stretches of this film. <laughs> Uh, it's that wildly incoherent, you know, it feels mm-hmm. like a fever dream. And it's not a particularly fun film to watch either. Uh, the opening and the diner scene are enjoyable. But that, the rest of it was just a real chore. Mm. And it has 15 kills, so it's, it, you know, it's moving. Yeah. But it's just so difficult to watch. Yeah. I, I remember watching this, and I got, a, I got a weird feeling that I may have not watched all of this film. I remember vividly that opening, luring Jason yeah. out. And then blowing him up, and it was just great. And I'm just like, oh yeah, someone's got some sense finally, yeah, yeah. logic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great. Um, and I remember the uh, I remember the guy eating his the black goo. Yeah, and and that's all I really remember, other than the the glove at the end. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't even really remember much of. It's, it's like I say, I I have I, I, you've probably done this as well. I've watched a film before and I've fallen asleep and I've been trying to stay awake mm. and I've started dreaming what happens in the film <laughs> and I feel that this could have happened. Yeah. What I'm telling you right now, in fact, might be all lies. It could have yeah. all been my dreams. <laughs> but it's it's an incredible film. Yeah. I'm not in a good way, obviously, but yeah. it is incredible. It's probably safe to assume that the reason Jason still walks is that he was reanimated through use of the uh, Necromonicon. Yeah. Um, Pamela Voorhees was some sort of witch or practitioner. Of, yeah. Yeah. This is the first one without the um, part nine. Like it should be part nine, but it's not part nine. Yeah. Just as Jason X should be part ten, but it's not. It's not referred to as part ten, yeah. Because um, they wouldn't give New Line the license to do yep. that, which is crazy. They got a license to all the characters, everything. Else. Oh, you can't call it part nine, though. And you yeah. can't call it part ten. You would have thought that this would have been perfect, and then it took like another 10 years. Yeah, it's spectacular that they took so long. You're yeah. talking to do Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah, to Freddy vs. Jason, but I could understand if they were separate, you know, if Universal owned one and Paramount owned the other. I could understand why it takes so long. But New Line owned both of them. Yeah. So how are you, how is this being in development hell? I think, it's, I think it's a sign of why this film is so insane, is apparently back when Part 7 um, was made, they were hoping that that would be Freddy vs. Jason. Right. And when they didn't get that to happen and New Line didn't come on board, they just made it um, Jason versus the Psychic Girl. Right. But they still wanted that to happen. So by the time they were making 8, 9, and 10, I think the wheels had really fallen off any sense of trying to control the quality of these films. Yeah. They were just like, look, just make a film, get it in theatres. We want Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. If, we, if you can keep that possible, I don't care what you're doing. Yeah. I'm a messenger of God. You're doomed if you stay here. That's been nine finishes, and I assume right. ten picks up immediately afterwards? Yeah, well, I mean, you so know... it's the same mythology? Yeah, basically. <laughs> no, uh, it <laughs> completely skips it. Um, oh. it's, it's a shame um, Erin Gray isn't in this, because then it would be um, oh. Jason Voorhees in the 25th century. Sadly, her body got defiled in yeah. the basement of the Voorhees house. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're Jason X, 2001... Jason has been captured, but government agencies are disagreeing over whether to cryogenically freeze him or study him to extract his powers of invincibility. Jason escapes and kills his captors, except for one woman, Rowan, who traps him in a cryo chamber, and she and Jason freeze together. They are found by a salvage crew, and Rowan is revived, only to realize she is on a spaceship 400 years in the future, and so is Jason. 
there's a sense of the series coming full circle from the original being sold on the three word title Friday the 13th. Jason X was sold on three words, Jason in space. It was essentially greenlit with little else figured out and used as a means to keep the character in the public eye while Freddy versus Jason languished in development yep. hell. I find that interesting because the original Friday the 13th, they had the title and nothing else. Yeah, that's and, right. And he actually went out and made sure that he got rights to that title. Oh, he put ads out. Yeah, Friday the 13th ads. coming soon. Yeah. yeah. From pillagers finding old artifacts on dusty planets to androids to pilots wearing cowboy hats to cutting into a specimen brought on board. Wait, wait, wait. are we doing the alien podcast now? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> to characters called Dallas, to oh. to macho trash-talking space marines, oh. to dimly lit cargo ship holds. This steals an awful lot from the Alien series. But seeing as this has rutting teenagers, maybe Alien Covenant stole some things back from it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's even got like a low-rent Tony Todd as, uh, you know, a yeah. space marine captain. Um, who does have the great line? He gets he gets stabbed through the back and it pops out through his guts, and he's like, "It's going to take more than tickling the ribs to to kick this old sea dog down." And then he gets another one straight through the guts. <laughs> he goes, "Yep, that ought to do it." <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, it doesn't. He, he's he's tough as nails. That guy. Uh, look, they reattach someone's arm with nanotechnology. Yeah, uh, and even revive someone from hundreds of years before who's technically dead, but. You would think that all of this stuff would be kind of, you know, fixable. Yeah. A lot of these people's deaths. It also has this crazy moment. I just want to, I'm kind of leaping into this, but there's this crazy moment where Jason's in a simulation. Yes. Okay. So there's these two guys who have VR headsets, basically, yeah. or they, they're tapped into some simulation. And they see that they're fighting dinosaurs or monsters or whatever. And then Jason pops up and they're like, who's this guy? He's not in our simulation. And then he's, you know, swiping at mm. them. And then they turn off their VR headsets and there's Jason in front of them. Yeah. So how's Jason in the simulation? And also in reality. And also in reality. That's a good question. Yeah. Let's get into some categories here. Jason myth exposition, five out of 13 hockey masks. Pretty mild exposition. Never a really a meaty Jason story to sink your teeth into. What's more unusual is that as you were saying in the other installments where people are like, oh, I haven't heard of this Jason Voorhees. Yeah. In here, 450 years into the future, they've heard of Jason Voorhees. How? <laughs> exactly. The lead character, she she's surprised that when a, a guy feigns that, because he's, he's you know one of these kind of uh, money-grabbing guys, and he thinks, oh, I can get this. He, he's the uh, Paul Reiser character. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's she's, Burke. He's Burke, yeah. And she's like, oh, Jason Voorhees. And he's like, I don't know who you're talking about. She's like, really? He's like, yes, it's 450 years in the future. Why yeah. are you surprised? So, uh, look, the hedonism of the victims is, is, is a pretty paltry five out of 13 hockey masks. In the future, teenagers are still horny, though. Uh, it doesn't have much hedonism, but does have a couple who can't keep their hands off one another, even during an autopsy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it has a student and teacher engaging in BDSM sex with cross-dressing. So, a little oh, bit of good. hedonism that's in good. there. But that's pretty much it. Lead protagonists, uh, six out of 13 hockey masks. Rowan LaFontaine is rational, resourceful, but also really forgettable. And she feels very much in the background for a lot of this film, and she doesn't really get anything at the end. She isn't even the the final girl per se. Yeah, um, it's more actually down to the robot android. This is how I remember the film. What you're saying, pretty forgettable character. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but I will say the characters, I'm going to give them a 7 out of 13 hockey masks, right in the middle, because it's got a money-hungry captain, macho grunt officers, science officer in love with his robot creation. The space crew kind of reminded me of like a really super low-rent Firefly, you know, Joss mm. Whedon's Firefly, which is interesting as Jason X came out like a year earlier than Firefly. Um, they're not as bland, but they aren't really that engaging either, and you certainly don't fear for any of them getting killed. Yeah, You're just yeah. like, oh, just get killed. They're all a bit too jokey about everything too, you know. Even when they're faced with imminent death, they kind of throw out one one-liners, and every now and then that's okay. But no one's really scared that much. Yeah. Quality of kills, uh, a middling six out of thirteen hockey masks. It has a relentless stream of kills. As with Jason Takes Manhattan, Jason X's volume of carnage helps here, but they're actually never really inventive. And many of them, the opening killing spree and the stalking of the soldiers, they just go by too quickly. But also, against all the odds, it has one of the best kills in the series uh, when the Doctor is killed. Her face is dipped into a sink of liquid nitrogen, and he pulls it out and then smashes her onto a bench top, and her face totally. just shatters. Wonderful. That's brilliant. I mean, that's top five kills for me. You know what I mean? That's right yeah. up there. But it loses points because the last three deaths are not Jason kills. The, the first deaths occur in the first three minutes, and, you know, I mean, there's about six people die in that. But it all happens very swiftly, and it's a bit too action filmy rather than horror yep. if you know what i mean so I one through six we'll say soldiers killed with machete david cronenberg is speared <laughs> um so david cronenberg shows up in this just so briefly i just wish he was in this a lot longer i love the fact he's in it oh it's brilliant uh, yeah endears me even more to the man uh seven drowned in sink of liquid nitrogen and face shattered into pieces eight stabbed through torso nine broken back ten head smashed against wall 11, neck broken, 12, impaled on a giant screw with the line, with the line, how's he doing? He's screwed. Wonderful. Uh, Next one is throat cut, then uh, cut in half with machete, impaled on a giant swinging hook, Uh, 16, chopped into many pieces by machete, 17 is an off-screen machete kill, we don't quite see what happens there, 18 is head smashed and electrocuted, 19, not adjacent kill, woman crashes escape pod into a ship. 20, not a Jason kill. Man sacrifices himself by exploding, a la uh, Gorman and um, Vasquez. And 21, not a Jason kill. Woman gets sucked out into space. Mm. Climax, two out of 13 hockey masks. No surprises, no suspense, no tension. It's really brightly lit, which really bugs me as well. And it's unsatisfying. And Jason burns up entering the Earth's atmosphere only to land like a shooting star in a lake. Mm-hmm. Which is like mm-hmm. Earth Two. It's not actually yeah, Earth yeah, One. Yeah. Because Earth One is where they were salvaged from, and then yeah. Earth Two, this kind of replicated new Earth. So he's kind of like he found this new home. And dancing, zero out of t- thirteen hockey masks. Oh, disappointing for you. No dancing fun to be had, unfortunately. This is a film that pretty much gets worth worse with every ten minutes that that happens. <laughs> I found the end of it really. I mean, I come back to the word arduous. If you want to, I'll take it away from from three and throw it to this. I found the end of this a real struggle because it didn't feel like horror film. Right. Jason gets re they destroy Jason and Jason gets reassembled um, as a new Jason and starts walking around. And it's just so stupid. He looks ridiculous. He looks ridiculous. He doesn't look scary. Yeah. And maybe it's being burnt out at the end of five Jason's, but I genuinely don't think so. I could have probably watched an, another kind of one on the level of, of, of six or something, obviously it just feels like it's, not really part of the series. A lot of fans hated the idea that Jason in space, they thought it was ridiculous and comical. 
I always thought it was fine, yeah, in theory, because yeah, I mean it's part ten, man. Yeah, oh, I think I think the concept's great. Yeah, I think the concept is fantastic. Execution's awful. Yeah, and it just shows that there's nothing beyond concept, really. Uh, and then it's just literally every beat out of Alien that you could imagine. Yeah. Okay, so look, now we've watched ten Friday Thirteenth films. <laughs> there's only one thing left to do, I think, and that's to to rank them. So look, here's my rankings of all 10. And, and like I say, some of these might change because um, I haven't seen them in a while. Having heard Duncan's description of part 10, I might rate it lower. But look, at the moment, th- at the bottom, part 8. Mm-hmm. Um, just didn't deliver. Part 9, what a confusing mess that has to go next. Part 2, burlap sack, Jason. Mm-hmm. Can't get on board with that. Part 10, obviously. Yep. Yep. Uh, part 7, just a little bit disappointing. Part five, pretty much right in the middle there, right? Eh? Mm-hmm. Right in the middle. Part one, um, yeah. points obviously for being the original. <laughs> yeah. Uh, part three, mm-hmm. uh, the second, uh, this, the second from the top would be part six, mm-hmm. and obviously my favourite is part four. I love part four. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, look, look, I've done um, overall rankings here just for the ones that I watched because yep. I really don't think I can do justice to. Five and seven because I'm pretty certain I haven't seen that. I definitely haven't seen five. Yeah, pretty sure I haven't seen seven, and I really don't remember Jason Goes to Hell that well. Yeah, um, but as you your, brain, your brain's probably closed it off to save save your sanity. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but from 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 the way you described it, it's pretty much the the stinking mess I remember yeah. it as. So um, I'll, I'll pretty much take yours on that. So of the ones I've done, I would say um, Jason X is the worst. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. So from my side of the film list, make no mistake, this is the nadir of the series from this. Yeah. For me. I didn't feel like that because I was burnt out because of watching five Friday films. And I may surprise you by saying that Jason in Space isn't an inherently bad idea. I think it's mm. actually a really good idea. Mm. It's a hell of an elevator pitch. But it's the execution that's really, I found really dull. Yeah. Um, it's And again, I just keep going back to it. Too brightly lit. There's no suspense. There, there are some flashes of fun performances, but they're, they're never taking anything really seriously. So yeah. it comes across like a not very funny episode of Red Dwarf. Right. Uh, specifically, the comparatively brilliant polymorph episode from Red Dwarf season three. Uh, Red Dwarf fans will know what I'm talking about. So overall, Jason X gets three out of thirteen hockey masks for me for three reasons: the concept, the Cronenberg, mm. and the killing of the doctor, doctor in the liquid yep, nitrogen yep. bath. That, that's enough to recommend three hockey cool. masks. Um, that's all over within the first ten minutes. Yeah. Uh, then Friday the Thirteenth Part. Eight, Jason Takes Manhattan would be sure. the, the next bottom. Uh, five out of 13 hockey masks. If I'm honest, Jason Takes Manhattan is probably the one that has slightly climbed to my estimations from re-watching these. Oh, really? Yeah, the middle third of the film has some really good carnage delivered at a serious clip. But once they've got off the boat, you can pretty much get off the film. But maybe check back in for the head-punching scene. That's really good. Yeah. And then would be Friday the 13th Part 2. Uh, as a scary, fun time, this just does not deliver... Uh, and Burlap Sack Jason is a problem. And it feels like a retread in many facets of the original, mm. which is a real problem. But I'm giving this overall a 6 out of 13 hockey masks. Actually kind of in the middle. Mainly because of the campfire exposition and the climax, mm. which I actually think are really iconic. So I'm talking about like, these are in Friday the 13th lore. I'm giving these rankings. So Yeah, no, they are iconic, I agree. Yeah, and I think it's worth watching if you like Jason mythology. And as you may have picked up from this podcast, I do love me some Jason mythology. Yeah. Um, some JME. JME. <laughs> uh, and then it goes into the top two, which is no surprise. And look, I'm just going to say it. 
next one is Friday the 13th part four, the final chapter. Yeah. Look, I, I've, after a slow start and sometimes actually kind of a bit of a silly beginning, part four slowly turns toward darkness in the second half and really plays the horror straight. Uh, something the rest of the series I watched anyway would never do again. Yeah. Feldman and Glover in particular are worth watching. If you're a casual viewer, part four, the final chapter, is the one that I recommend to begin with. Yeah, I, I've said before, I think it is uh, probably the best pure slasher film. Like yeah. if you got all the slasher films, like drain them through like Jason's hockey mask and whatever congealed <laughs> at the bottom of it would be part four. Yeah. It just feels like the pure slasher movie experience. Yeah. Good and bad. Yeah. I mean, you know? Yeah, that's right. I, I think so too. It's got the hedonism. It's got the crazy um, Feldman. It's got the bizarre. Oh, it's got Glover. It's got Glover. It's, uh, um, it's got, and it's got some really creepy tension. It's got those dark spaces it goes into. And I found myself just getting drawn into the, the final third. I invested a lot more than any of the other ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's one to check out. Um, and as I kind of alluded to earlier, between part three and part four, it's the time that when those were made is the time that captures the series that it's most relevant for the 80s horror explosion. Yep. Especially if you're younger and you didn't go through that. Those are the ones. Just try and put yourself back to those times and that is, that's right in the sweet spot. Yep. And uh, in many ways, it's the purest horror film in the series, I think. Yeah. Um, so I give it 12 out of 13 hockey masks. Normally, I, I, give, it, normally I give it 13, but there's one reason I didn't. I, yeah. And that's because my top one is Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Loves. Look, this has always been my favorite Friday the 13th film. And after this viewing, it remains so. It's often funny, sometimes suspenseful. It's got a real feeling of urgency, a wacky opening, and a great ending. And it has so much to like about it. And as we saw with later entries... There's a, there is a balance required for the humor and the terror. Mm. And Jason Lives does have some really silly elements, but it knows when to hit them. And it doesn't go goofy stupid when it should be going suspenseful. Mm. It knows when it's going. And actually, thinking about it, it's not. it doesn't make that much fun of Jason. Like The later ones kind of make fun of Jason. Like yeah. Jason Man Manhattan, Jason X definitely do. Well, part 7 does as well, I think. Yeah, and obviously Part 9 does. So mm. it just... This kind of makes fun of everyone else, mm. you know what I mean? And Jason remains very much a, a kind of a brutal, mm. dark threat, um, especially when he's kind of walking into Camp Crystal and, you know, there's all these young kids waiting yeah, for him, basically. Yeah, yes. That's, that's kind of a bit... Which, unnerving. like I say, is remarkably the first time in the series this happens. Yeah, so I give this 13 out of 13 hockey masks. Uh, yeah, part six, Jason Lives. All right. Top one there. So I think we can both agree. Uh, we may slightly disagree on three. Yeah. But probably the sweet spot is... Three to six. Yeah, I'd say so. I would add three. I know you, you, you found, it, found it a bit tough going early on. Yeah. But four to six, definitely. Yeah. But I'd say three to six. It's, things start going downhill after seven. Yeah. And they don't really pick up in the first two that well. No. All right. Well, that was our Friday the 13th. Yeah, it um, was. And that was probably your Friday the 13th listening to this, hopefully. So. Yep. Yep. So get out and enjoy a Friday the 13th film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we said, we've already told you our favorites, so they're probably the ones to check out. But. Maybe you're a, you know, a sucker for punishment and you want to kick back and watch Jason Goes to Hell or Manhattan or you know who knows what. I, if, if your first Friday 13th experience was Jason Goes to Hell, <laughs> I mean, you'd never watch another Friday 13th film, no. I don't think. Hey? That'd be it. It'd be your first and last experience. Yeah, you'd probably never watch another film again. Like, <laughs> Just give up on the medium. For me. I give up on this medium. Yeah, you know, I don't see any future in it. <laughs> going back to books. All right, hey, so what song are we going out to? We're going out to Alice Cooper's The Man Behind the Mask Yep, from... Part six, Jason yep. Lives. This is off the album Constructor, which also had um, Teenage Frankenstein on, yeah. which I, I loved. Um, I loved this album a lot as a kid. Yeah. I, I'm sure it's actually one of his worst albums, I <laughs> yeah. think.
but um, this this is great. I mean, it's got the ch 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 sound yeah. in it. This yeah, is a catchy song. So yeah, so thanks to everyone for listening, and um, check under your beds before you go to sleep tonight. And, yeah, and, uh, and also check out our show links. It's some <laughs> I'm going to put in some really good extra content uh, for Friday Thirteenth fans. Nice, I'm really looking forward to it. So. Uh, yeah, um, don't walk under any ladders and don't let any black cats walk in front of you and uh, I think you'll be safe. Yeah, stay safe, folks. Yeah, stay safe and uh, just make sure that all your garden tools are locked away. You're with your baby in your park alone on a summer night. You're deep in love but you're deeper in the woods. You think you're doing alright. Did you hear that? two words to you, Mr. Duke, and I want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Jason Voorhees. Well, that makes me think of a little girl in a pink dress sticking a hot dog through a donut.